morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have Brantley Berryhill, the head of strategic sales over at Atlin. He was a VP of sales over at Eversort. He was a big sales leader at Google and Looker and Box. Nick, why should people listen? Well, if that didn't get you stoked up for this episode, this one was a really helpful lesson on not chasing bad deals and understanding some of the things that you should look for when you are placing your bets of the deals that you're really going to fight to win. We also talked about ways that you should be involving your entire company in helping you win strategic deals and ways you can even get the CEO involved to get another win in the books. So with that, let's get another episode in the books, Armand. Well, that was going to be my countdown. And then so a three, a two, a one, another episode in the books. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to to take advantage of the offer. All right, Brantley, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. First tip I want to talk about is focusing on your ICP, right? I think that often reps are spending a lot of time on opportunities and they're trying to outbound into accounts that don't fit the mold. And so at Atlin, I think one of the things that we really focus on is we know we have an extremely high success rate when a customer's deployed Snowflake, DBT, and Fivetran. And so we're constantly focusing on accounts that we know are going to be in our swim lane. We have a high chance to close and our value proposition resonates that much more than accounts where it doesn't exist. Beautiful. What's number two? Yeah. So one of the things that I feel like is, is underrated in sales is over communicating and using things like team wide Slack channels, especially in large strategic deals. So imagine kicking off a week with a tactical overview for the, the extended team. This is who's going to be involved. These are the conversations. These are the outcomes. And then recapping at the end of the week, what we've done. What's awesome about that is it brings visibility in. 
And so if somebody from product says, oh, wow, you're having a discussion on this, let me join that meeting so I can aid in because I'm the SME on this particular topic. It's that communication and providing that visibility, which is another tip that, you know, I think is invaluable when you're, when you're selling. Very nice. Round us out. What's number three? Planning your desired outcome. I think it's, it's too often that people go into conversations without knowing exactly what they want to get out of it and having a plan for what the person on the other side wants to get out of it as well. Nothing is worth doing if you don't have a plan. And when you actually plan those outcomes, it, you, you, your results improve drastically. I run a call every, every week with my team on large opportunities that we have in the pipeline. What are the upcoming meetings? What are the goals that we have for that meeting? And then we've got a tactical version of what we want to get done. And I think that just planning where you want to go is, is going to be critical to improving the sales skills that you've got. So Brantley, one of the hard things about strategic sales is as a rep, you might only have three deals you're working and you might not know where you're at for three months in those deals, but you have the benefit of running a strategic team and seeing across 10, 20, sometimes 30 deals. So let's say that you're just running a pipeline review, okay? And you're looking at their early stage opportunities. What are some of the questions that you're grilling your reps with on their early stage ops to figure out if they should spend another three months working those opportunities or not? So we, we have a deal, like an analysis doc that we run everyone through. And we don't do it on every single deal, but the ones that matter, we certainly focus there. And the first thing we look at is like, what is their stack, right? For Atlin, we play heavily in the data engineering space. And so if a customer has not modernized their stack, we know it's going to be a heck of a lot harder for us to be successful and convince them that, you know, using a modern tool like Atlin is, is to their advantage. They probably culturally haven't made that shift yet either. So the first thing I would say is let's understand, are we going to be a good fit for them? And let's also understand who's involved, right? Is this a person that is been at the company for a really long time and they haven't moved up in the organization is it someone that maybe just joined recently and they've had a great successful career at other companies that we know would be perfect for ICP? That person may be an awesome individual for us to go look at, right? So I think you have to look at a variety of things, but those are just two examples that, that stand out right now. Brantley, one of the things that I would always ask in my early stage deals when I was leading the team at PAVE was really similar is we were a compensation software and compensation software needs to integrate with all of these HR tools. And I would see these reps chasing these deals where they would say things like, I'm going to be on Rippling or I'm going to be on Workday. And what they don't realize is like, for you, that might be Snowflake. If someone's saying, I'm going to be on Snowflake, that's going to be a multiple, multiple month long process just to get your stuff over there. Or people would say things like, oh, we want to launch our equity plan and we want to do it the right way. And that's why we want to have PAVE on board. And that's all great. But now I need to convince them to get an equity plan first. And then I need to make sure they roll it out. And then I have to convince them to buy this thing when it's still early on versus just finding the fastballs down the center. So it sounds like one piece is a technological fit aspect of your deals. And that's something that you typically find at the account level. You mentioned some things that you look for at the persona level, right? Is this the right champion? Maybe is it the right title, et cetera? Let's say that you're looking at the names in Salesforce. You're looking at the primary contacts on an opportunity, 
Okay. What are some of the primary contacts that you see on an opportunity where you're like, no, 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 this, this thing's going nowhere. We need to get the heck away from this type of person and get over to that kind of person instead. Yeah. So it's interesting because it's one thing for a sales force to say someone's title, but it's another thing to actually really understand the individual for us. Right. I mean, we, we play heavily in the data governance space. And so there are data governance titles that could mean a variety of things at different organizations. So when I see data governance, I want to go understand a little bit more about that person. I think the other thing in our world too is if it's, if it's a low level data engineer that may have a really tactical problem, we might be able to solve a solution for someone. But if that person's not going to bring us up the chain and is not going to allow us to be able to speak with other individuals. I think those are typically where we, we make a call early on. If it's, if it's somebody we want to go spend time with, or do we go find other opportunities? There's a really interesting motion where you meet with someone that's lower level and you're right. Like it's tough if they're not willing to like directly take you to their boss or their boss's boss, but there's a world where you get on with somebody and you pull out one, two, three problems and you figure out, Hey, like this person's struggling with something. We can fix that. They don't have buying authority. And what you can do is you can say, Hey, like I'm actually going to go reach out to Armand. Cause I think we can help your whole org with this. Are you yeah. cool if I use your name? And most of the time, folks will be like, yeah, I guess you can. And even if they don't, you can still anonymize that, hey, like I met with a couple of your data engineers and it sounds like the team is struggling with A, B, and C. And that is a way stronger prospecting motion than you just reaching out, out of the blue because you can say, yo, I met with your team and I know that they're dealing with this. I call it stacking conversations, right? When you're stacking those conversations, the complexity and what you can convey grows because you've got so much more value to be able to add in. And that's a practice that, you know, every great outbound sales organization is going to do, right? You're going to go grab those nuggets of information. That's where the, the team-wide collaboration is so important as well, because then everybody understands what's happening in the account. You can organize, you can plan, you can think about those desired outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Even if someone personally is not going to get you to that next level, if you're doing your job, you're going to extract a piece of value that you can take and use somewhere else. You talked about what you're doing on big strategic deals is you're setting up this shared Slack channel. Try saying that five times fast. And you're inviting a bunch of people from the team into it. And you're having the rep put in key updates so that sales engineers and team leadership are able to see, oh, I can actually help out with this deal. I'm curious if you can tell me more about that. And like, my guess is you're not having the rep put the call transcription in Slack. You're asking for like very specific updates, but could you tell me a little bit more about like what that strategy looks like? It's a, almost a template, right? To be able to say, Hey, this is what's happening this week. Here's who's going to be involved here from our team is going, who's going to be involved in each one of these calls. And there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, you could run an Excel spreadsheet and model this out, take a screenshot and pin that to the top of the Slack channel, right? You could post it in there as well. There's multiple ways that you could do it. But I think the key is it's, it's running a project management element within that channel so that folks know who's involved, they know what your goals are. And then I think the, the thing that doesn't get done enough, but it's really critical is to recap it. Hey, we had these things happen this week. We made amazing progress here. We didn't quite get as far as we wanted on this thing, but our goal for next week is to do X, Y, and Z. 
I might need somebody from product to join this conversation. And when you provide that transparency, I guarantee it, you know, some executives, some sales leaders, whoever that's, that's a part of that conversation is going to be able to tap that person on the shoulder and bring them to that call. So that's, that's one tactical thing that I think is really critical to implement. One thing that we did at Pave that was really similar is my golden two were size and stage is if a deal is over 50K and it's past stage three, which is the multi-threading stage, I want a Slack channel with it. And I want you to pull me in. And if it's an over 100K deal, I want you to pull in Matt, our CEO. And I want eyeballs on this thing. And then the expectation for the rep is whenever there was a key call, right? You just recap the key call and then you would have a section, just like if you were writing an investor update as a CEO, you'd have a section on your deal that says ways that you can help. And the best reps would say, I need to get to this person, but it wasn't the right time for me to ask my champion for an introduction. Brantley, you're our VP of sales. You're our head of strategic sales. You're our CRO. You're our CEO. Can you send a message to this person? And now what you can do is you can combine not only the account plans that you've built out earlier in the stage of the deals, but you can start to match different people at different levels of the org for those different roles in the organization. So Brantley, I'm curious for you, as a sales leader, when do you find it most effective for your reps to bring you into a deal? And then what is the role that you are typically playing in a deal when you get involved? Yeah, I run the luxury of having a lot of, of time to work with a smaller team. And so I am more than happy to get involved at any point, whether it's level matching, adding a different perspective, coming in with a, the ability to maybe ask a different level of questions where someone might not want to give information out to someone on my team. They may be more willing to give information to me, and then we can take that information and go to the next person. Don't be shy to use your resources. I'm sure everyone's on, on LinkedIn and you see all of these folks talking about these massive deals that are happening. Every single one of those deals had probably 10, 15, 20 people or more potentially in them. And the more people that you involve early, the more perspective you can get. I would say that would be one thing because I might know one of my best friends works at this company. And I might be able to get a piece of information out of a conversation that I just had and use that to, to advantage. And one of the things that I think is, is often not utilized enough is this tactic of having myself or one of the reps basically give a, a deal review. Hey, this is what we've done. This is who we've met with. This is the value that we're bringing to these people. And this is what they're struggling with. And you organize a really detailed narrative to your CEO. They may have a mutual board member that they know, or they may know another CEO that knows that person really well. And by your CEO forwarding that message through that other individual, you can almost guarantee they're going to read it. And so you can land that really strong value proposition directly in the right person's hands. And you're probably coming in at a level above your buyer, right? And then it gets pushed down. So those are types of tactical plays that we love to run whenever we have the opportunity. And I would say that's, that's a way that you can get your executive team involved in deals, maybe where they're not actually talking to the customer. One of the things that you mentioned before was you'll get involved in a deal. It allows you to ask a different level of questions than maybe what a rep is able to. And I'm curious, when you get brought into those deals, like what does that look like? What are things that you can ask that maybe a rep can't? Yeah, 
So it, it's funny. I think I think both both a rep and and someone in in a leadership position can ask the same question. I think it's the way that the person on the other side interprets how that question is being asked, and you may get a different answer. So I'll give you an example. I was on a on a conversation the other day with somebody on my team with a large transportation provider headquartered in Atlanta. And what we determined was, why don't I just join the call, ask them really high level questions on what, what their overarching problem statement they're trying to solve for was that, w- that was beyond us, right? I mentioned we play in the data engineering and, and the, da- the data space, but there's more at play than just Atlin. And I think the rep had been getting a lot of tactical, like we need this feature, we need this thing accomplished, et cetera. But I was able to understand the bigger problem just by asking the same questions that he could have asked, but this person was more willing to share. And so by hearing that, we realized that, hey, there's part of this problem. There's a partner that's going to solve this much better than we can on this one ask. I got on the phone today with the head of BD at this particular company, chatted with them, and then we sent a note off to that that prospect this afternoon. And now we're setting up a three-way discussion where we're going to co-present an overall solution to that person. People are more willing to share, and you could, it could be the same question, but having that plan ahead of time, I think, is, is critical. And so, Brantley, we've talked about your motion. We've talked about the AE motion. One thing that we haven't talked about is... I love how you use the forwarded email to the CEO as the perfect way to tee them up to send a note to your prospect. Can you talk about when you get your CEO involved in a deal and when you do, what do they do in a deal cycle? We run the luxury here at Atlin of having a CEO that really understands the vision and you've got somebody on the other side that is a practitioner and our CEO is a former practitioner as well. And they can tell that relatable story that I've never done that job, right? I can't convey that the same way that she can. And I think that there's situations like that where she can tell this amazing story that captivates a vision and a narrative that just gets somebody so bought in. I think there are situations like the one I was, I was giving the example of, she may not know this exact person, but she can add value by being able to use a contact that I would never be able to get to. You're going to find ways for them to be able to potentially jump in and you're not going to have any idea or not even thought of that thing. And that's where this whole thing rounds itself out is when you can communicate, when you can be transparent about your, your process, people are going to come to you with ideas and they're going to say, Hey, I know I can help in this way. Let, let's talk about it. Let, let me do it. Right. If you have a better way or better suggestion, Brantley, I'm open to it. But I have this angle that you may not be considering. Yeah, it was, it was funny. For whatever reason, because our titles have the word sales in them, we can tell as many customer stories as we want. But because we haven't been an engineer, we haven't been these things before, for one reason or other, people just like have this skeptical eye. And there were times where I was struggling going toe-to-toe with a CFO. And what I would do is I would bring in our controller at PAVE to talk about equity comp and all of these things. And frankly, I knew just as much about equity comp as he did. I worked at Carta. I worked at an equity company, but they did not believe me. And so I primed him and I was like, just say these things. And quite literally, the exact same things that I said on the previous call, my controller said, and they were like, yeah, you're totally right. You get it. And so sometimes you just need someone who feels like a familiar face to that point. On this note, Brantley, we've talked about a lot of the internal 
resources you can bring into your deal cycle. You're a huge advocate of bringing customers into your sales cycle as well. So I'm curious, when and how do you typically advise that your reps use customers to sell these large deals? Yeah. The one thing that I always try to do is land a few key customers early that I'm always reaching out to, whether it's quarterly or whatever the cadence may be, just to, just to keep that relationship going. And I'm keeping them informed on everything that we're working on, checking in on how they're doing, looking for ways to add more value to them. I actually think that the best salespeople are your customers because they can tell a real life story better than any sales team ever could. I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. I was thinking about buying a tool for my team uh, about a month and a half ago. And I was, I was talking to this company and they didn't have a lot of great customer stories on their website. And I, I said, look, I'm totally convinced on the problem and what you, what you folks do, but I want to talk to one of your customers that has done this because I'm really concerned about adoption, right? I want to make sure that if I spend the money on this, people are actually going to adopt it and it's not going to be the next SaaS tool that gets bought and not used. And this person had a very hard time of being able to get me in touch with someone. Now I get it, Armand, I know you and I have chatted a little bit about this, right? There's certain situations where you don't just want to hand out a a customer reference willy nilly, but I, I, I was convinced I was sold. This was the right technology for me to go adopt. And I, I made this case. I said, Hey, if you can get me someone, I, all I want to understand is how the implementation went. I want to understand how they're driving adoption and continued adoption uh, this person couldn't bring that conversation together. I was a very interested buyer looking to, to make that decision quickly. And I just got the sense that they couldn't paint this full vision, or maybe they didn't have a customer. They'd actually live up to this, this future state that I was hoping for. So that made me a little wary. So that's just one real life example of why for any salesperson, it's not just landing the customer, but it's it's making that customer successful. It's keeping that relationship open because if you can find yourself two, three, four people that you are going to be able to use throughout your selling process, those are the people that that you want to find. And generally, you know, you're able to use them and, and coach them through the conversation that they're probably going to be having with a, a future prospect. One thing that I learned really early on in my sales career that I sort of thought was BS was the most senior enterprise rep on the team said, he's like, I'm happy to give you references, but you need your own references. And I didn't really understand it until I started getting on a text basis with my customers. And every CS person, customer success person listening is probably going to kill me for this. But If you want, you can try to go through the customer success round robin of references, and that's fine. You'll get someone who will give you the generic customer stories. But if you have a customer that you sold, that you check in on every month, that during the sales cycle you were texting, those customers love you and they'll fight for you. And they will fight for you in a way that none of these customers that you've never even met before sometimes will fight for you. And you can also have a primer call with these customers because you've sold them and you can give them the real real of what they need to talk about versus if i'm getting a round robin reference i might not even get a seat at the table because i need to go through my customer success team to get them to even take the call in the first place 
Absolutely. I think, I think that was extremely well said. The other advantage to that too is guess what? You might present a problem statement because that customer is doing the same job of this person you're trying to sell to and present an issue that you're not able to solve. And they might have a solution and they're also using you. So they may paint a bigger vision that speeds up your motion and just builds another person that they can collaborate with and, and learn use cases from. So you're actually making connections to add value that way as well, because you might create a buddy system and they can continue to, to learn from each other. I love it. Well, Brantley, thanks for letting us learn from you. But unfortunately, we're running out of time. And so we got to move to the final question. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I'd say going at it alone, right? Sales is 100% a team sport. Anybody listening to your podcast has probably heard someone say that before. You're hearing it again. People want to help, right? Whether whether it's your CEO or someone on the product team and someone in engineering, you're all working for the same team with the same goals. And I think the best thing that you can do is be transparent. You know, it's it's sometimes it's difficult to feel vulnerable, but there's no stupid questions, especially when it's to solve a problem. And if you can communicate and ask for help and just share what's going on, people will give you angles and ideas that you're not thinking about. And I guarantee you. You will have more success, make more money, and you will be at the top of all the leaderboards that uh, you're looking to get to the top of. Beautiful. Brantley, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Brantley Berryhill include number one, use that team Slack channel to keep your internal resources selling for you alongside you at different levels of power, which brings us to number two, use your various leaders to ask questions and change the voice to elevate or lower the level of conversation in a deal cycle. Number three, 
forward your deal recap narrative customer story over to your CEO and then have them reach out with that narrative directly to your prospects. And then lastly, number four, create your own references instead of using the generic customer success round robin references because those folks will sell far more for you than the folks that you've never met in your life. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, Armand, you've had a new responsibility here at 30MPC, and that has been documenting and writing out all of the wonderful, actionable takeaways that we've been learning on 30 Minutes to Presidents Club and sending them out to our wonderful 30MPC boring newsletter. I promise, folks, it's not that boring, even though it is written by Armand. And if you want to get documentation and written best practices from 30MPC, you may consider checking out the link in the show notes to sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.